Let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6 as we continue our journey through the Gospel of Matthew in a series we've entitled The Kingdom. Matthew chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there with me. My job is to cook and serve the food. Your job today is to receive and ingest the food. Man does not live by burgers alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so if you leave hungry today, it's your own fault. Would you stand as we read God's word together? Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. I uh, modified this translation to make it more relevant. Look at the geese on the ground. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow, tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may your Holy Spirit illuminate and empower your holy word and drive it into every circumstance today, every life, every heart today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. So right out of the gate, we have Jesus saying, Therefore... And as always, I don't think I can say this enough. You can't pull a passage of scripture out of context and just say, hey, this is what the Bible says. Yes, that is true, but what, what was said before it matters and what says after it matters. So when Jesus says, therefore, he directly connects it to the previous passage. The previous passage, when you see a therefore in the scriptures, that means that the previous passage is a necessary prerequisite to understanding what he's about to say. Therefore, so you need to stop and say, what did Jesus just say? Well, go to our app and listen to the sermon from last week or go to our website. Jesus is in this section here, and as a preacher, delivering the best sermon ever given in the history of preaching, the Sermon on the Mount, 
No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. If you were here last week, do you remember the actual word? Mammon, which means more than money. It means possessions, status. You cannot serve both God and mammon. You can't do both. You can't have one foot in each world. The Bible is so clear over and over again. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. Do not love the world or anything in the world. Jesus demands, he demands absolute allegiance. So stop riding the fence. That's what the the, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 3. Again, God is speaking to a church, and he says, you're lukewarm. I'd rather you be hot or cold. Choose something. Don't try to be both. And the lukewarm nature of some people's faith makes God sick to his stomach. It's it's a pretty graphic expression there in Revelation chapter 3. So that's the context as Jesus is saying you can't serve both. Your treasure needs to be in Christ. Your treasure isn't what is in the hand of Christ. It is Christ himself. It is the heart of God that is the treasure for the kingdom person. And then he goes, therefore, I tell you, do not worry. Can I just say that this sermon is is guaranteed relevant for every person here? I can't say that every Sunday, but I'm saying it now. Do not worry. That hits all of us on some level. Do not become anxious, other translations say. This is a biblical imperative. So we have to wrestle with that. God designed us a certain way to interface with our reality in a certain way, but the Bible never commands something that we are incapable of doing. That would be cruel. So God understands how we've been designed. He understands the complexity of our culture, of our society. He understands the temptation to worry, to be anxious, to be overwhelmed. There is an epidemic of anxiety in our society. I would encourage you to go back to January on our website, and we had a Mental Health Sunday and really tried to start a conversation that hopefully will bring hope, that brought hope and healing and is bringing hope and healing into people's lives. So please understand that, that that's already been said before I dive into what Jesus is saying here. There's an epidemic of anxiety in our society, and our anxieties today are different from the original audience of Jesus. They had real physical needs that created anxiety. Where will I get food from? There might be a few here that have actually experienced real hunger, but most of us have not. Most of us, it's theoretical, that it happens in other parts of the world. Where will I get my next meal from? They didn't have refrigeration. They didn't have uh, the, the ingrained expectations that we have in our culture. They didn't have grocery stores. They didn't have Safeway and Sobeys and Walmart and aisles and aisles and aisles of all kinds of food. 
our anxiety comes more from selection than it does substance. Where will I get clothing from? Our anxieties don't flow from a place of poverty, but rather from a place of prosperity. One of the biggest sources of anxiety for many is connected to diet and weight control. And some of that concern flows more from image management than from a desire to be healthy. Our anxiety doesn't flow from, I have one outfit, I have two outfits, and they're getting worn out, right? They have, they're getting moth-eaten. Our anxiety comes from the mountain of clothes that we have to continually sort through and donate a portion of it regularly to Value Village. We aren't anxious about having only one outfit to wear, whether we are worried about picking the right outfit from our wardrobe. We are anxious about wearing the kind of clothes that are trendy. The epidemic of worry is happening in a time and in a place where anxiety should be at the lowest point in history because of our prosperity. Based upon the values of this world, of this culture, we should have contentment and peace because we've never had more. We've never had more food. We throw away more food than some entire countries consume. Our dumpsters are full of food where we pick at our plates and we eat what we want and we don't save scraps. We don't eat leftovers. Why? We, we don't need to eat leftovers. Historically high prosperity has brought with it historically high anxiety. We've never had more. We've never had more clothing. We've never had more entertainment. Yet many of us continue to drink the cultural Kool-Aid. We continue to believe that more and better food will lead to satisfaction. We continue to embrace the false promise that better clothes and better vehicles and better houses will bring contentment. We continue to believe the lie that better bodies will somehow make us better people. And Jesus rebukes them and he rebukes us. And the challenge for me as a kingdom person in this culture, as someone who the Bible describes as an alien because of the radically different ethic that should drive our lives. We are aliens and strangers and pilgrims. Jesus rebukes them. He rebukes me. He rebukes us. He says, oh, you of little faith. Oh, you of little faith. It wasn't their lack of faith. It was their misplaced faith. They were placing their faith in their own ability to provide for their needs, which displayed a lack of trust in who? In their heavenly father. So if my kids were to go to my neighbor's house and say, could I have bread? Could I have peanut butter? Could I have jelly? If my kids were to come knock on you, your door and say, give me some Cheerios, what would you think of me? Would you think, well, John's a good father. Man, look, he's, he's really providing for his family. Or would you think, what a poor example of parenting. Would you call 
the cops and turn me in for some type of child abuse that I'm depriving my kids of their basic needs. Or if you saw my kids show up here and they had clothes from last year and they had grown six inches, but we hadn't got them new pants. And so they're, it's, it's like unintentional capris. They're walking around, or we used to call them jams back in the day. And so they're walking around, or, or maybe their toes are popped out the end of their shoes. And you were to look and say, man, would you blame the kid and say, kid, why don't you take better care of yourself? Or would you look at the kid and come directly to the parent and say, why aren't you taking care of your kid? What's wrong with you? So we, Jesus says, your heavenly father knows what you need. Your heavenly father will protect and provide. We have a king who we've sworn our allegiance to, and he is the king of kings. He has ultimate power. He is the firstborn over all creation. He is able. We need to trust him. The constant temptation for me and for us is to Assume personal responsibility for provision. For provision. And now it's just, this gets a little, it gets a little confusing. It can get a little confusing because listen, Jesus isn't saying don't work. He's not saying don't work because if you look at birds, birds are always moving. You ever, you ever seen a chubby bird? You ever seen a couple birds just chillaxing in the corner of your yard? Huh? What's up? Nothing much. What's up with you? I mean, now birds are moving. They're constantly search, they're searching for food. They're, they're going from place to place. They're building their houses. They're migrating to other countries. So it's not that we don't work. It's that we don't worry. That's the key that Jesus is saying. It's not that we don't move. It's not that we don't break a sweat. It's that we don't worry about the outcome that's what James says. God's word says, you who say today or tomorrow, we'll go to this city or that city. I'm going to make this investment. I'm going to spend two years here and then three years here. And my kids are going to graduate in this year. They're going to go to this university and some young adults here, right? You've graduated from high school. You're making these plans for college. And, the Lord, and God's word rebukes us. And basically says, who do you think you are? You think you control your future? It's the illusion of control that brings anxiety to our lives. Jesus, the Bible says, you should say this, if it is God's will, if it is the king's will, if it is my heavenly father's will, I will do this or that or go here or there. Embrace the rebuke of the king. I know the tendency. I have the same one. We get defensive and we offer excuses and we think we're the exception. But John, you don't know my situation. But John, you don't know the weight that I'm carrying. You don't know my story. It doesn't matter. Different stories, different backgrounds, different struggles. There's complexity in all of our lives, but it's the same biblical imperative. Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Jesus uses the birds and the flowers as an illustration of his message. And I did a Google image search and the breathtaking, stunning beauty 
of the birds and the flowers, and he just as well could have said the fish. And here's the thing. These wildflowers, these flowers that sometimes, most of the time, grow in places that no one will see. (laughs) And yet God does it anyway. It seems extravagant to me. The common grace of God that's found in the beauty of creation. These amazing, colorful, like these, you know, these organic pieces of art that are swimming a thousand feet below the water. Nobody's seeing them. These flowers that are blooming in the forest, these birds in the jungle that very few people, if any, actually see. Amazingly colorful. The intricate design. But Jesus is saying, it's not just their, it's not just what, how they look, it's how they operate. That's the real message. Not just their external appearance, but even more their lack of worry. Jesus uses two different words here. I found this interesting this week in my studies. Two different words. So he uses a, a Greek word when he says, look at the birds. So birds, you know, let's use a hummingbird, for example. A penguin would not be a good example because they just sit there. You can watch penguins. But most birds, and I was trying this this week, they flutter around. Hummingbirds in particular are fascinating animals, incredible creatures. And But you see them and they, they kind of a blur. They come across this, or you see a bird and it sits there for a minute and you hear it sing and then it's gone. So he says, look at the birds. But then he uses a different word for the flowers. He says, study the flowers. It's a word that means to examine, to learn from. So basically he's saying, look at the birds and that's a constant reminder, but you need to pull up a chair in front of a flower and study the flowers. And he says, these flowers, they do not labor or spin. And that word, that word that he uses there is to labor with wearisome effort. Like it's a pretty strong word in the language of the Bible, to labor with wearisome effort. Have you ever seen a flower break a sweat? (laughs) To be beautiful. No, it just stays connected to the soil. The nutrients. Everything that it needs is provided for it outside of itself. Study the flowers. And so I went and bought a magnifying glass. And honestly, I wanted to take this seriously. I wanted to say, well, Jesus uses two different words here. He didn't just say, glance at the flowers. He says, look at the birds, behold the birds. He could have just said, look at the flowers, behold the flowers. But he specifically used a different word. He says, pull up a chair, break out the the magnifying glass and study the flowers. And just the incredible beauty of this flower that did not dress itself. And he says, let the flower preach a sermon that strengthens your faith. I'm going to leave these flowers up here. And as we sing a song in response, and even at the benediction, I'm going to invite you to come forward. I'm going to put them down front. And to come see the flower, a visual sermon. When we are overwhelmed, Don't sit and close your eyes. Open them and take a walk. Look at a bird, study a flower, and let these things build our faith. 
Jesus makes a distinction here between how kingdom people live and those outside the kingdom. Listen, there should be a radical and observable difference. He says this, the unconverted, the unbelievers pursue these things. Another translation says, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. Another translation says, for that is what the unbelievers chase after. Yet one other translation says, outsiders make themselves frantic over these things. Come on now, how many of us fit into that category? We call ourselves kingdom people, but we pursue the things of the world and it brings anxiety into our lives. We're dominated by the thoughts of the things of this world. We are chasing after the things of this world. And in doing so, it's displaying, it's diagnosing our lack of trust in our king, in our father. Pagans run after these things. And the way that is written in the language of the New Testament, it's written in such a way that communicates ongoing action. So it's they're continually seeking something and never achieving it. It never stops. You chase after the next meal. We find our security in our fridge that's full of food in our budget where we've allocated certain amounts to groceries, in our reserve funds that are a safety net that just in case God doesn't come through, I'm gonna be able to take care of myself. And I'm not saying these things aren't wise, but I'm saying, where's our heart? I'm not saying to change the consumer culture. I'm not saying to change capitalism, but we shouldn't let it change us. That's the point, is we are in this world, but we are not of this world. And I fear it's changed me. I am in the world, and I am of the world. Pagans run after these things. The treadmill of this world, always running, but never arriving. So here's the challenge as we wrap up today. Have faith in God. It's pretty basic. It's pretty basic, but some of us need to repent of our independence, to repent of our self-reliance, and to trust God with everything. You don't come to the king and negotiate terms. God, I'll give you this if you'll let me have this. No, you come to the king and you lay down everything. And what do you get in return? You get the king. (laughs) Rest in his sovereignty. Trust your king. Trust your heavenly father. He will protect and provide. Stop letting the future hijack the present. The Bible says, do not be anxious. Same word. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God. This is what, this is what everyone's after, right? You work so hard and you hope it's going to bring peace. And it results in 
insomnia. You work so hard and you assume personal responsibility for your spouse and your kids and your future and you think that's going to bring contentment and it results in anxiety. And the peace of God which transcends understanding, the supernatural peace of the King of Kings will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And that is what sets us apart. When we get the diagnosis, it's how we respond. When our finances crumble, it's not that God is going to prevent the diagnosis. It's not that God is going to prevent the financial collapse. When the relational drama threatens to overwhelm you with your spouse, your marriage, your kids, there should be such a radical difference in how we as kingdom people engage with the chaos around us as people of peace. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the message of the orchid. How it's not sweating. The message of the birds. Lord, as you take care of animals, how much more will you take care of me? How much more will you take care of us? The greater value that we have in your eyes than every other creature, every, every, every other thing on the planet, ultimately expressed in the sacrifice of your son. And so today we repent. We repent of our anxiety that flows from our desire to manage our image. Lord, I repent of my worry that is a product of my desire to control my future. And so today we lay it down at your feet, not negotiating a better contract or better terms, but surrendering ourselves fully and completely to you. We pledge our allegiance to the king and trust that you have the power to provide for our every need. In Jesus' name. If you're looking for ways to connect, find us on Facebook or YouTube. Just check out the show notes for details. Thank you for tuning in. I hope and pray that this has been a blessing in your life. And I hope that you'll continue the conversation with God by opening his word for yourself. Love y'all.